John will will, will be in John chapter 15 tonight. Uh, We'll be in John 15, and we will read from verse 1 um, to verse 10. I have to stop somewhere. I'm the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me or abide in me. And I will remain and abide in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. Let's pray. Lord, once again, I come just asking you for help um, as we open up your word that we would see Jesus and that our hearts would be warmed and transformed by your Spirit. We ask it in His precious name. Amen. So, Is change possible? Can we change? Can we be transformed? I mean, that's like that's like an enormous question. If you've ever, and if you're like me, you kind of wonder, like, am I really changing? Am I becoming more Christ-like? That's a good question to ask. Am I growing? Really good question to ask. But it is absolutely essential that we define growth the way Jesus did. Jesus never said, be productive. And he never said, get better. He said, be fruitful. Which includes change and growth, transformation. But that picture of fruitfulness flowing out of none other than the second Adam, the gentle and lowly and humble Savior, the one who was Christed for the shadow people, 
it flows by the power of the Spirit in our union, which is very organic and very basic, is this image. And so that's what we're going to look at tonight. So you go back, there's so much, in, so much encouragement in this passage of what it means to be transformed, to grow as a Christian. But it's totally related to the first three nights. It's not like Jesus is so great, Jesus is so kind, look how humble he is. And then for me, there was this like big, dark, black line that said, all right, get your stuff together. It was like so disconnected. It's like, Jesus is so wonderful, I'm a terrible Christian. So look at three things. First, how can we be fruitful? One, we have to know who we are. Two, we have to be who we are. Knowing who we are, being who we are, so what? Knowing who we are, being who we are, so what? It's a very well-known passage. I will not be giving you anything that is new because I just want to unpack this story, this image that Jesus gives us. I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. My father is the vine dresser, depending on the translation. I am the vine. You are the branches. This is, this is teeming with Old Testament imagery, especially in Isaiah 5 and Isaiah 27, where there are these vineyard songs where Israel is called the vine or the vineyard of God, God's covenant people. So he is pulling from all of this language of the Old Testament of what the true vine is, what the true, who the true gardener is. So he's, he's bringing all this together as the fulfillment of all those promises. And what he's saying here is, when he says, I am the vine, it's I am the, I am the vine. I am the true vine. One, one uh, commentator, Dale Bruner, says what Jesus is saying here is he's talking about the root of the matter. All human beings are looking for the root of the matter. Jesus claims to be the root of reality. True truth. We are in touch with the core of reality in contact with Jesus of Nazareth. We are united to what is really real. So when he calls himself the true vine, he's saying, I am not just like one path. I'm not just one way. I'm not just, I am the truth itself. I am the center of reality. I am the very core of reality. C.S. Lewis famously says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see the sun, but because I see everything else by it. He says, I believe in Christianity. I believe that Jesus is the true truth. That shapes the way I look at everything. Jesus is the fulfillment of Israel. He is the fulfillment of all the promises in the Old Testament. He is bringing God's eternal kingdom of love to the earth. And so what's happening here is Jesus talking about his father and this relationship they have. The father is here watchful and caring for him. His true son and all those who are eternally united 
to true truth, the center of reality. That's heady stuff. To know who we are means that we have been found by and we have discovered, we have seen by faith the meaning of everything. That's like craziest thing I've just said that. Like, Like literally the answer is there, Jesus. And the union is something that... so. You can't get more momentous, more meaningful, more important that everything in reality revolves around the authoritative King Jesus. There's nothing greater than that. But then he says it's like this. It's like a, it's like a branch and a vine. It's like it's, we're back to Big Bird in the planetarium. Do you see? He's doing this stuff all the time. He's like, nothing is more momentous and awesome and great and wonderful. It is the actual home of your very soul. Oh, yeah, it's like a tree. That's how kind he is. And here's what that means. Branch to a vine, whatever Jesus gets, whatever the vine gets, the branch gets. Jesus' righteousness Vine is righteous. Vine is righteous. Branch is righteous. Jesus died once for all. We get the benefits of his death. And even when we die, yet we shall live. Why? Because the vine is the true truth. Jesus was buried. We were buried with Jesus. Jesus rode from the dead. Dead. We will rise from the dead. Our resurrection is certain because we are organically and eternally connected to Jesus. We rose with Christ. So much so that the Apostle Paul in Colossians 3 said, You've already died. Your lives are hidden with Christ. Like, do you see how secure you are? How eternally secure you are, united to the vine. The Father perfectly loving His Son through the Spirit. And He says, you're clean. Verse 3, you're clean because of the words I've spoken to you. No, I'm not clean. Yes, you are. You're clean. Like, think about how much of my, think about how much shocking, how much of my life I've tried to clean myself up. To feel clean. feel dirty. But Jesus says here, you are katharos, which where we get the word Catherine, which means pure. Any Catherines in here? Purity. Clean. You are not your past. You are not who you were in high school. You are not what you did in college. You are not your GPA. You are not your successes. You are not your failures. You are not your image on social media. You are not 
what your parents ultimately say about you. You're not what your siblings say about you. You're not what your friends say about you. You're not what your spouse says about you. You're not what your city says about you. You're not what your elders say about you. You're not what anyone says about you. But the true truth says this. You are united to me. Ballgame. This is who you are. You're clean. I'll make you clean. Why? There's no one cleaner, more pure than Jesus Christ. So even in our subjective dirtiness, there is an objective cleanliness, a flowing through our relationship with the risen Jesus Christ. And then Jesus says, the Father loves you, I love you like the Father loves me. Why? Remember? I'm going to do this again. Vine, branch. It's literally that basic. How can that be? Well, he loves the vine, loves the branch. That's how it works. It's flowing right through the very green sap of God's eternal love. That's you. That's me. Knowing who we are, it's what Paul's doing all the time in Ephesians. Several different times, he just like breaks into prayer. He just like, look, I'm praying to God that your, the eyes of your hearts will, will open up and you will see. And that you will know the hope to which he's called you. What the riches of his glory inheritance is in the saints. What the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. It's like he's just grasping for words. Like, oh gosh, immeasurable, beyond anything. Enlightening the heart of your heart. The power, the love, all of those things. Because he's saying, like, if you could know this at the core, at your core level, then you will begin to be transformed on the inside. Because that's the thing about vegetation, right? The rootedness, it's hidden from sight. There's something buried about it, but that's okay. We can't see our branchness, can we? But that's okay. There is, Paul is saying, there's something vital and there's something invisible and there's something eternal because something that is unseen is actually eternal and the things that we see are passing away. There's something eternal at the very core of your being that is clean. And you will see it one day. Like God has got the last word on you and your soul. I'm the vine, you are the branch. You know, we moved into our, our, our house that we live in in Franklin about seven years ago, and there's a big magnolia tree right outside my office. And I was just, when I was working on this sermon, I just was like looking out this thing and just looking at the limbs and looking at the tree. And they're just a, it's, they're just a fact. They're just like standing there like, here I am, connected to the trunk of this tree. And here are these beautiful golden green leaves, shiny, wonderful-looking things that look like jewels in the summertime and these magnolia blossoms. And they're just sticking out there because of their connection and their vitality that's growing from this tree. Here's what Jesus is telling his disciples. Here's what he's telling you and, you and me. Here's what he's saying to us. This life, this love, he wants everything that he's done for us 
to get down to every single ring in your tree. Every single, every single ring. My favorite poet, Tomas Tranströmer, said, every ring of the tree in us still is there. Like this trail I like to go jogging in, a lot of times the trees will fall over and someone will come with a chainsaw and just make a clean cut. And I was running by one the other day and I just looked at the ring. Have you ever looked at like a fresh cut where you can see the rings? And you can see little bitty baby tree in there. It's like every single ring and you have one that's just like almost just like not even a thing. It is so small. So think about Jesus. Every single aspect of your life In early youth, he did smile, and though rebellious and perverse, meanwhile, loved and cleansed at every single ring. And so to be disconnected from it, what's death? It's actually to be disconnected from reality itself. Not Not just disconnected from Christianity. Disconnected from the center of the universe, that's death. And there are parts of us that Jesus is going to bring into control, and some of those parts that he's going to prune, and some of those parts he's going to take away, and those parts that belong to our sinful self, he's taking those out of the way. Sin is not ultimate, it is not. It is penultimate. It's a big deal, but it is not the truest thing about you. Good gracious, reform people. The truest thing about you is fine branch. Not your depravity. Your depravity is going to be blown to pieces and obliterated by the second person of the Trinity working through the Spirit when He comes and eradicates every evil thing in this world cancer and crime and hatred. Everything, all of it, gone. And he's working it in you too. And he's really patient. Knowing who we are. Beloved. Not worms. Second, be who you are. Be who you are. Verses 4 and 5. Abide in me, remain in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So what does it mean to abide or remain? That word, man, I haven't understood that for so many years. Like, what does it mean to abide? It sounds like such churchy religious jargon. Abide in me. What does that mean? It means, it means to make your home with him. It means to live into him. Like, like a lived-in pair of boots. You ever seen a really good pair of red wings? Like, oh man, those, if those things could talk. There's something lived in that they almost become like an extension of your person. There's a sticking with them. All Here's what it is. To abide with Jesus means you bring all of you to all of him. All of you to all of him. It's like going from dating to marriage. Marriage. Oh, my, my dear wife. Oh, my goodness gracious. Being married to me is not, a, it's not easy. 
I'm, I mean, I'm serious. I'm not being falsely humble. I, I, literally, I am an obsessive, neurotic person. But there's something about this connection, this relationship. It's almost what Jesus is describing here. When you marry someone, I and you and you and me, you get the good and the bad parts. Jesus gets all of our stuff. He gets everything, because, and he wants it. Just as the Father loves me, I love you. So when you get married, you can't really keep those bad parts hidden anymore. To make home with means the good and the bad and the ugly. All of it comes. All of our money and our clothes, our stuff and our issues and our scars and our weirdness and everything about us. We make home together and our habits are formed together. So not just knowing who we are, living into who we are. That's what it means to abide in Jesus Christ. I think of maybe the best, one of the greatest illustrations of this is the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. What does it mean to abide? He had a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it is. But it was something that was painful and it was constant and he he wanted it gone. He begged God to take it away. Do you have something like that in your life? He said it was like a tormentor from Satan hounding him. And surely he thought, if this thing would be away from me, then I would be in much better shape. I would be much more effective in ministry, right? If I didn't have to struggle with this, if I didn't have to struggle with this relationship, this physical problem, if I didn't have to struggle with this part of my past or this psychological issue I have or this emotional thing, if I didn't have to struggle with this, then then I would be so much better. And then you come to a place like that, sometimes you can feel really lonely because we compare our insides with everyone's outsides and say like, man, they're crushing it. I suck. (laughs) Change it, change it. So what does Paul do? This is abiding. Jesus said to him, my grace is enough for you. It just is enough for whatever you're facing. It's enough. So we, don't have any, we have no evidence that he ever took the thorn away, especially not maybe in the context of that story or that passage, that he didn't take this constant, hounding, persistent, painful thing out of his life. It was still there. And so what did he have to experience? He had to experience grace every time the thing came. So like some struggle with some sin, some habit, some problem, some besetting thing, every time it comes, you have to experience grace from the vine. It's It's like breathing underwater. Like it's like being at the bottom of the ocean. You better have some apparatus to help you breathe. And you don't just need one hit. You need it constant. So as you're going back to your places, what God is wanting you to do, to abide, bringing all your desperation and experiencing the sufficiency of His grace in real time. Now that's scary stuff, isn't it? Like right where you really need it. Now, what does that look like? Okay, it practically looks like living in the gospel, the truth of the gospel, like the Heidelberg Catechism, 
these beautiful articulations of our faith. Heidelberg Catechism, question number one. If you've never heard it, I'll read it to you. What is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood. He has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my Heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. But here's what this means. And especially as leaders and as servants and as teachers. We have to eat that. And if you have a thorn in the flesh, that can't just be an idea. It's got to be oxygen. And so there's a place maybe where God's pressing in on your life about some part of your life or some struggle that you're having or some resentment or something that just won't go away, what if you stop seeing that as a wall that you're trying to get over and you started seeing it as a door to the sufficient, sufficient grace of Jesus Christ? As you begin to go like, this is a mess, this is hard, I don't want to face this, and you start realizing this is a place where I, I have to be breathing underwater and God has to show up in my life. That's hard, but y'all, that is deep, rich soil for fruit. That's what we do when we go to church. Like, this is so great. Just basically just being a meat and potatoes Christian, just going to church, going to the Lord's Supper. God's so, he's so kind and gentle and gracious. He says, hey, this is my body. It's broken for you. This is my blood. This poured out for you. So I love every single week, I'm just like, I'm reminded that I need the gospel to be liquefied and baked. I need to chew it in my mouth. And I need to see other people doing it too. As Jonathan Edwards famously said, there's a difference between having a rational judgment that honey is sweet and having a sense of its sweetness. A man may have the former that knows not honey how honey tastes. But man cannot have the latter unless he has an idea of the taste of honey in his mind. Tasting the sweetness of the honey, tasting the sufficiency of God's grace is in the very trenches of your biggest struggle. Abide in me, all of you, all of him. It's also fellowship and Christian community because think about it. It's not just one vine, although we, sometimes we would like that to be. Me and Jesus. Isn't this great, Jesus? We have this little thing going. But if you look around, vine branches. Branches, right? There's one vine, rather, and many branches. So we're all connected to Jesus, and therefore we're connected to one another. And this is how shame dies. I mean... Pick your poison, Kirk Thompson, Brene Brown, research is there. The way shame and hypervigilance goes down is that safe and secure people literally listen to you talk about the stuff that's in your life and you feel less crazy. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. 
this goes back to my friend that said, and I'll finish the story, I don't know how to be friends with you. And I was like, I don't have conversations like this. And he said, well, what do you mean? And I said, I felt like there was like sonar in the deep ocean when you told me that. Like, I was so buried, so far down, so alone. And he's like, why don't you talk to someone about that? And I was like, maybe I should. <laughs> so I started going to a counselor. Our, my counselor, Ted, in Memphis, he was this big, tall guy, Vietnam vet. We called him the gentle giant. And he looked at me and he said, you know, it sounds to me, Richie, that you've gone your whole entire life looking for someone to tell you that you're okay. And I was like, that checks out. <laughs> and he proceeded to tell me how much God just loved me, loved the child that I had left behind. Community, friends, places for us to do this. And I know it can be so lonely, but you need to eat the gospel and you need fellowship around the gospel because you are going to go crazy without it. Even if it's just one person, even if just this community, you don't need a lot of people, but just one person that you can talk about how scared you are, how discouraged you are, how, how troubled you are, how much you hate what you're doing. Somewhere you can get all of this gunk outside. That is what it's like to abide in the body of Christ. But then Jesus says this, obey, keep my commandments. You know, obedience, that is such a cuss word in our culture, right? It is not trending. But what is obedience? Like the, um, the root word of obedience, think about what he's saying here in context. It is a surrendering, listening, and loving of the second Adam who is gentle and humble and lowly, who was Christed for the shadow people. Do you hear who we're obeying? He says, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Do you hear that? We missed that little part of that passage from, last, from two nights ago. Learn from me. Be learning from me. Learning from someone who is gentle and kind and not harsh. If you have an oppressive, cold, and distant Jesus, you will not want to abide. A strict and exacting Jesus? That will not produce the kind of fruit that he's talking about. To obey means to listen, to pay attention to, to follow his words, to, to listen to him. Y'all, it means to sit with him. It means to savor who Jesus Christ is. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So what? So what does this mean? Abiding in Jesus Christ, the branch to the vine, we are, by the power of the Spirit, increasingly loving what He loves. And y'all know what He y'all know what He loves. People in the shadows. Y'all know what He loves. John 13, knowing that the Father had given him all things, planetarium. 
he rose from the supper and he laid aside his garments and in taking the towel, he tied it around his waist, big bird. Then he poured water into a basin. He began to wash the disciples' feet. Y'all, this is like the last thing he does. What pleases him is this. It pleases him to, to get our filth on him. It pleases him to, to wash us. He loves to make things new. He loves to bring people home. He loved that John was reclining against him and he could hear the heartbeat of God. He loved people being having hope. He loved people having peace at the deepest parts of their being. So what pleases him? What does it mean to obey him? It means to be an agent of love in this world. And what is sin? What is disobedience? Disobedience is the destruction of everything he loves. Oppression. Ugliness. How do we do this? How do we do this? Think about it. You would never look at a tree and say, that tree is so lazy. Think for a second. It's a lazy tree. You're just sitting there being a tree. I mean, gah. But you would never look at a tree and say, that tree's really busy. What in the world? You're beginning to see what Jesus is doing here. So there is something for us to do. For us to do is to plunge down. Down in reading the Word of God. Down in meditating and loving His Word and finding Him in the Scriptures. Down in the community of, of prayer and of sound teaching. Rooting ourselves down, down in the midst of our sufferings. Rooting ourselves down deeper and deeper into our stories. Rooting ourselves deeper and deeper and down in the context of corporate worship and singing these songs and of coming clean with other people. Rooting ourselves deeper and deeper down in the biggest struggles that you have in your, sin, in your sin life, sinful life. The biggest struggles you have. And so what happens? The root produces fruit. And the fruit is for others. And Jesus is such a beautiful example. How rooted he was in the Father's love. That life was teeming from him. So much so that here's a piece of fruit. I'm going to wash every one of your feet. Especially yours, Judas. That pleased the Father to do something that extravagant. And that lowly. It's so freeing. Surrendering to Jesus is that kind of freedom. Okay, here's the point. Let me close with this. The words of Count von Zinzendorf, you've heard them before. That's the coolest name ever. <laughs> Tell me that's not a rock band. Hey, we're Count von Zinzendorf. Thanks for coming out. Um, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Now, your ego hates that. <laughs> Being remembered is chaff. Fame, recognition, dust in the wind. Loving the people who are right there with you, who are right there around you, in those little places, cold pizza, bad music. Right there, that person sitting right across from you, that's what Jesus is doing here. That is fruit, and it pleases God. Let's pray.
Lord, bless these precious people that are so, so precious to you. With a sense of your presence, Lord Jesus, that it would be palpable. And your goodness and the sweetness of your, of your love would get to the very core of our being and that we would hate the things that take us away from you. Lord, that we would begin to, by your Spirit, form habits that are transforming us into foot-washing people in a world of condemnation and contempt and meanness. God, help us do that. Let us bear much fruit for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing.